When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, 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 yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Today, my basement, it's questions from the audience. I'm coming to questions from the audience today with maybe a different approach. It's, I don't really think it's all that uh, different, but um, maybe some information, some data. It's because it's data I received, and um, it makes me feel better. That makes me feel better. Um because it um, confirms what I thought was going on. I'm also a little confused by it, and I'm saying that from a, a place of sincerity. And, uh, and so I'll start up. I'm sure some of you wonder what kind of numbers um, the podcast does, what, what's popular, what's not popular. All right, that's good. I'm, if you're interested, I will provide this information for you in addition to answering questions about uh, the Cardinals, the Missouri Vanderbilt debacle, Missouri coaching, uh, an interview we did that I thought wasn't going to be a big deal on TMA, but got led to a few questions for questions from the audience, and uh, and we continue the family tree of questions from a few weeks ago that that oftentimes happens. People respond to it, um, and so we we continue down the threesome road. And I'll tell you what, if I could have if I could address threesomes, foursomes, orgies, whatever, in every questions from the audience. That's something I know I can look forward to. But today I'm in a I'm in a place where I can share some data, and maybe you'll find it interesting. Maybe you won't. I don't. I don't know. But um, boy, here's another one that just popped in as I was doing that incredible intro. So, um, long story short, I've, I've got a number of people. Um, we did the we did the the uh, unofficial post game show during the Cardinal run, if you want to call it that. Um, in which they won, what, three games, and they lost six games. And really, there wasn't a lot of what you usually have when the Cardinals are in the postseason, even if it's a brief stay, uh, and that is a lot to complain about strategically because they were just wiped off the field in the four games against the Braves, or excuse me, against the Nationals. And, you know, one of the games against the Braves was just domination by Fulton Evich. So um, that's what I really looked forward to doing with that. But nonetheless, uh, was it uh, Gramophone this weekend with uh, Anna Marie, just the two of us, on Saturday? It was a beautiful day. And a uh, gentleman, is, I believe, uh, either wife or girlfriend, came over, and he was a fan of, um, of the show. And we started bullshitting for a while, and he said, you know what, when you first said you were going to do these post-game shows, the unofficial post-game show, I was kind of like, all right, whatever, you know. And then I watched it, and it was like I, I'm I love watching watching it because when when I usually watch post game shows, they're kind of uh, they can't say what most of the fans are thinking or what they want to hear, what the fans want to hear the host address. And I said, well, that is that's a great thing to hear because that was the goal. 
I mean, there was there was no monetization strategy whatsoever. Not that there isn't a long term potential for that, but um, it was just to. I love talking baseball. I love talking baseball right afterwards, as opposed to like if there's some big decision on a Friday night game. I don't have until uh, Monday morning at seven o'clock to to wait. I can just go, and that's what we did with game. Uh, what was it? Game one. Right or no? Maybe game two actually it was game two of the Brave series, and I guess game one of the National series. Uh, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think the Cardinals were outscored three to nothing on their two Friday night games this year. So that was in postseason. I digress. Point being, I'm glad it resonated because it was really very low production, low promotion, and the last one we did um, when things wrapped up following game four. I think the final number was 645 people were watching. Now that doesn't include people who listen on the podcast. And that's, um, and that's, you know, and that's, that's YouTube, that's Twitter, that's Facebook. And that's encouraging to me because it was more or less kind of a test run to see a, if people would listen, B, if I could do it technologically speaking by myself, which is what we did and then see how it would go. You know, I mean, would people be interacting? Would it be, you know, I don't know what the right, I don't want to call it entertaining. I think TMA is entertaining. I think some of the uh, interviews that we do on this podcast are entertaining. I think when producer Joe goes after Iggy or the Plowhawk on pick six, it's entertaining. Um, I think when I'm reading threesome and foursome stories on QFTA, it's entertaining. But it engages. It gets people engaged. And, uh, and I guess that happened. So that's cool because that's, that's my inclination on where the business is going is that direction. I don't think you have to be a, a wizard to see that. So that's good. I'm not talking about that's the only thing I would do. I'm just saying it's an addition to, and I like doing it. So there's that. So that's good. That, you know, while it, it was, you know, I guess you call it extra work. I guess by definition it was. Um, and Patrick Donnelly came over to my house, the studio, and uh, set everything up so I wasn't just doing it off my phone to the TMA fan page, but to people uh, who aren't members of the fan page, they could access it on YouTube, on the Inside STL channel, or on Facebook, on the Tim McKernan Show, and on my Twitter feed. So you didn't have to be a member of the TMA fan page. And, and on top of it, some people don't have Twitter accounts, some people don't have Facebook accounts, whatever. So it's it's there for you. And the thing about the YouTube element of it is you could watch it on your television, and um, and that's how some people, of course, now with YouTube TV... That's how they're just used to watching television. So I like that. That excites me. That's good. The data points that I have for you, because one of the elements on however we decide to go with whatever we decide to do with regard to the future of, of whatever it is that we're doing, and I don't even know, I don't even know what to, to call it because it's not just inside STL. It's not just TMA. It's not just this podcast. Some of the stuff doesn't even exist yet. But um, it's monitoring data and, and trying to see what people like, what people don't like. Um, and I have a gentleman who, um, if we did go in a certain direction, would, would certainly be somebody I would uh, want to bring on board long term um, because his specialty is, is digital, which, as I just said earlier, is something that I view as, you know, without question, the future. But when I say that, it's almost like it's not even the future. It's, it's the present. Um, it just might not be the present necessarily in St. Louis. So anyway, um, for a lot of people, but, but, um, he dug into some data and, um, and he, and he, and he sent this over and it was quite informative. Uh, and I'll give you this, I'll give you some information here. Um, 
so we start with this, and this is from, I believe, January 1st, 2019. So it doesn't include everything. We've been doing the podcast now for more than two years, the Tim McKernan Show podcast. And honestly, I'm, I'm surprised by a variety of things, encouraged actually by some of the things. Um, and one of those is that um, the Craig Berube interview was the most, is the most listened to interview um, I guess it's kind of, I should acknowledge that I think th- this is only tracking the last three months because I think that's where the stats refresh. But either way, the Craig Berube interview is the number one interview. Um, Cam Jansen, number two. Kelly Chase, which I thought was my personal favorite, but I mean, I loved Young Page Views, who's number four. Joe Buck, number five. That's what surprises me. Jeff Fisher, which got um, both local attention and uh, limited national attention. That interview is number six. Pat Maroon, who was on a couple of times, uh, is seven. John Hamm, eight. Bobby Plager, nine. And then Learn and You Man, ten. Fun facts for no and tell. Um, So that's that's just, you know, do with it it what you want. But um, found that it was interesting shows how popular the blues element of this year was in St. Louis, is in St. Louis. Um, I don't know if it can ever be replicated. The first time is always going to be, um, I think, held in a certain esteem, even if, you know, batshit things happen um, to make wins or losses more dramatic. Um, I think the first time will always, 2019 will always be historic in St. Louis for the blues. So with that all said, then there's the breakdown of the shows, um, ranging from QFTAs to the pick sixes to the unofficial postgame show. And honestly, I know I'm getting more and more questions via email at tmckernan at insidestl.com, which is great because um, I can see that. And like if I weren't getting any questions, I'd be like, okay, nobody's fucking listening to this. But they, they've increased, and I know that I get – a lot of emails that aren't necessarily questions or when I see people out, they talk about questions from the audience, but I hadn't broken down the data like this gentleman did. And it's actually um, the most listened to of take your pick of QFTA spring training shows, pick six um, and the unofficial post game show average listens. As a matter of fact, the average listens are comparable to the interviews, which which is candidly surprising to me. I'm thrilled. Um, But what I was saying to my wife, to tie it all in, is that uh, I'm honestly surprised because, listen, in order to do what I do for a living, you have to have, I think really, I don't even want to call it ego. I think delusions. And by that, I mean, you actually have to, like, as I'm talking... I have to believe that people actually give a shit about what I'm saying. And in reality, the vast majority of people don't. I liked, I, I thought Frank Opinion, when he was a guest on the podcast, I think it was at this point a year and a half ago, I thought he summed it up perfectly, like put it in perspective. You know, and I was talking about how huge of an audience he has. Because oh, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm almost busting into a Frank Opinion impression there, which I can't do. Because I appreciate that. But he goes, you know, in reality, he goes, there are three million people in the area. And of those three million, how many people 
are really familiar with and listen to my show. And he said, think about that. And, and he goes, you know, so let's just say, just for the sake of it, it would be 300,000. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He might not have said that, but he was driving home the path, the, the, the point mathematically. And I think, I think all of us would agree that would be high. It would be high for TMA. I think it would be high for the vast majority of shows. Um, he goes, so what that means is there are 2.7 million people who have zero clue or interest. He goes, so to that percentage of the audience, it's a big deal. But for the vast majority of the population, it's not that big of a deal. Or it's not, not only is it not that big of a deal, it's irrelevant because they don't even know that it exists or care that it exists. So I try to kind of keep that perspective on things. But nonetheless, I will sit here in my basement completely by myself and answer questions and or just give opinions and, and tell stories and, and talk as if people are listening. But I, but candidly, I mean, questions from the audience was kind of like, oh, I'd like to do a thing. Okay, why don't we have Iggy and the Plowhawk in? And we'll do that, and that'll be fun. And then Plowhawk wound up going on the board on Frank Cusmano's show, and then that kind of broke that dynamic down, um, which is good, good for him uh, to, to get additional dollars. But um, I'm like, well, I like doing it, and it kind of just for me, because on TMA you have basically five people talking. Gangster Pete will be here and there, but for the most part, five people talking. And I think, like I've said, I think if there's a pie chart of words spoken on some days, I might be the one who speaks the least. Um, and I'm not saying, man, I'm unhappy about that. I couldn't care any less. What I enjoy is the, is the fact that TMA is popular and I laugh my ass off and I get paid to do it. That, that's, that's what I care about. Um, but when I want to expound, I know that I'm going to be able to do so um, on this podcast, which I like, which is why I think guest-wise, as it's, as it's wound up turning out, that there are people who like to come on the podcast. It seems more political, actually, more political guests, but, you know, across the board, um, because they like that it's kind of a, a conversation without having to worry about, you know, speaking and going, okay, you only have 10 seconds here or whatever. And so, or you only have however many characters on Twitter you can have at the particular moment and get your message across. So that makes that makes me feel good. Now, if, if it came back, um, let's see, um, and, and I thought, wow, that was, nobody was paying attention. Um, I would, I, candidly, I would, I would say, yeah, you know what? I do questions from the audience, but it's not really getting listened to. And so I'll, I'll probably peel off on the questions from the audience thing, but it, people like it. I haven't really promoted it all that aggressively. Um, it's just people, it's like, okay, it's QFTA. It's every Wednesday and, and here it is, but I'm happy to see that. I'm happy to see it. Um, and I'm happy to see the kind of questions that we get because they're diverse. I don't even know what I'm going to talk. All I know is I sit down in my chair, I hit record, and I go. And then I open up emails or I go to the TMA fan page, and then I try to get the questions that are going to get me going the most. Um, and then what it leads to is then follow-up emails. So I, I'm going to try to start strong out of the gate with, uh, if, if you listened, I guess at this point, maybe three weeks ago, we had maybe, maybe a month, the story about, um, the gentleman and his wife, I believe they were married. Um, 
and it was going to be what appeared to be either a threesome or a foursome. And then his wife, uh, when they went back to the uh, lady who was pursuing his wife's home, uh, his wife, very unfortunately, I think I might be more upset about it than than the gentleman who wrote in. Uh, his wife got sick, as in threw up, and as you can imagine, that's gonna that's gonna ruin any any orgy. So um, then a gentleman, as I said, these become family tree questions, and by that I mean somebody writes in a question, and then somebody hears it, and then they write in, and then it becomes like a theme, a thread that goes on, and so that's what we've had happen. A uh, gentleman sent in, Dave, sent in a story about how he had a threesome and how his advice to those wanting to have them would be to not really push the idea of the threesome and just let it happen. Um, and I tip my cap because he's he's made it happen. But in his story, he uh, he pointed out that... Um, that um, the whole thing started when uh, he was dancing with his wife's coworker, and his wife's coworker became the person they wound up having the threesome with. And I asked the question: At some point, either your wife had to be watching that, or you had to be doing it behind her back. Which, to me, from my my viewpoint on the threesomes, foursomes, whatever it is, and I've been hashtag blessed enough to engage and um, pro uh, threesomes, foursomes, what have you, that the key is everybody's on the same page and you can't have um, you can't have somebody doing something behind somebody's back, you know, with regard to like physical contact, flirtation, or in this case, dancing with somebody else, if in this case, Dave's wife, wasn't aware of it. So I was wondering how that all came to fruition. Dave was listening. Dave has since responded. Tim, response to some of the questions you had on last week's, and in this case, I think it was two weeks ago because we didn't do one with the unofficial postgame show last week. Uh, QFTA, the dancing with her coworker was no big deal. We were with a group of friends, and I believe my wife was at a nearby table talking to friends but we would frequently dance with our friends, so that is why I didn't get a read on the situation. The wife had brought up her interest in women. That's a very important detail. The wife had brought up her interest in women and the possibility of a threesome before, but I figured it was just the alcohol talking until that night, but never did we discuss certain individuals. Hope this clears up any questions. That's from Dave. So we were with a group of friends, and I believe my wife was at a nearby table talking to friends, but we would frequently dance with our friends. Okay, well, there you go. That's it. So if it's kind of standard operating procedure, then then God bless America. I, I have a tough time relating to it because I just can't, in general, I, the last time I danced was with my wife at our wedding eight years ago. So it's not like I'm like, yeah, when I'm out dancing. So I can't I can't get, get there. And I would imagine the vast majority of you, if I have a good read on the demographic, would also not be in the category of, of Danny Dancer. But... In this situation, it sounds like it's something that uh, that is um, commonplace for you, Dave. And if that's the case, then God bless America. Like I said, my perspective on it is because some people are like, well, then you're cheating if you're having threesomes. And I'm like, I disagree because everybody's on the same page. You're che- I would say you're cheating more if you're like texting or flirting with an old girlfriend or something like that on in a DM or whatever. 
but it just depends on what your view is on it. Like if everybody's cool with everything, I don't view that as cheating. But like if, if, and I don't know, I don't remember what the story was with Dave's situation. I don't remember if he had, I think he did have sex with the wife's coworker, I think. Um, but if your wife's cool with it and you're cool with it, then everybody's winning. But if you're in a spot where you do have that happen, but the way it all starts is because you were trying to set it up behind your wife's back, even though it eventually wound up working out, I would say that, uh, and you're dancing with her and having physical contact, then that's, that's a different deal. I could be wrong on that. Everybody's perspective on this stuff's changing as people get more, um, I don't know, I guess open with, uh, with their views on sexuality. So, I enjoy, the stories haven't necessarily gotten to what I was hoping they were going to get to, but they're, they're explaining it. Like I said, I'm like, oh, this is great. This guy has written in this monster email about a threesome or potentially foursome, and and then it ends with, with vomit on, on the floor. And I'm like, oh, well, I really wish I wouldn't have read that. But it's led to now Dave sharing his stories. I um, guess I'll tell an anecdote. I think I've told it before, but, um, you know, in, 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 in one of my fortunate instances, it wasn't even, I said, so I guess maybe there's something to this. God, Dave, you're resonating with me. Although I'm like going back in the vault way back when, but, um, one of my first experiences, I was home and I, I actually think I was playing video games shows how fucking sweet I am. And my significant other um, brings home two women who he'd been hanging out with, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't even on my mind, even though that's, this stuff's been on my mind ever since I accidentally saw Lady Chatterley's lover on Showtime in 88. So, you know, I mean, I have a wide berth here on dates and this being on my mind. And, and the next thing you know, you know, I mean, and it's just like, holy shit, this happened. And it's just the you know, for my money, greatest damn thing going really is greatest damn thing going. So, um, yeah, but I, I, I did, I never once was I like, Oh, I'm, I'm being unfaithful because my significant other was hell. My significant other set the whole thing up, but, uh, you know, was there, but having been unfaithful in the past, um, I'm I'm in a point like even now like at this point like you know I mean let's, let's be honest here I'm 43 I don't have much hair I don't have much height um, you know it's very clear I would think that I am a married father and not at all out there or even like hinting that I would be interested I would think that's pretty good it's kind of one of those things you don't put yourself in that position for a situation because if you want to put yourself in that position you're probably going to find yourself in that position um but even when i would get like dms not that this happens at all often and i'm kind of like i think i know what's kind of going on here i think because when you're i mean i've been with anna marie since 2008 so i mean you're, you're going back you know a long way here um, and things have drastically changed with social media. I mean, I didn't c- create my Twitter account until 2009. But, so I'm not familiar with like all the game. Like people rattle off the apps where they hook up or they date or whatever. And I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck these are. 
So I'm out of the game, but I still kind of, I still know, I think what like a move would be. And I'm like, there's no way that I am going to um, risk, you know, anything being misconstrued because if it ever were to be put out there that I did, you know, try to flirt with somebody or was creepy on social media that people would go, oh yeah, have you heard his show? Of course he is. So I would not get the benefit of the doubt. And I, the last thing I want to do is fuck up my marriage and my family uh, by uh, flirting with somebody on social media, you know, because again, I personally view that as, I mean, I'm just trying to put myself, like if Anna Marie were doing that, I'd be like, well, that isn't, that isn't cool. But if we had an understanding of this is cool, this is cool, like like her joke with me is, it's not cheating if it's gay, um, then then God bless America. But everybody's situation is different. So with regard to how this whole thing came to fruition with Dave's story, I was like, man, it's great you had the threesome, but it sounds like it started off in a... Uh, dark place and by that I mean you were out there dancing with this woman who was not your wife and then it wound up happening but now Dave you've explained it I appreciate the explanation I wasn't chastising you I was just curious how the whole thing came to free because I can't imagine but again I can't imagine dancing and then you just put a period at the end of the sentence but then I can't imagine um like dancing with one of my wife's friends and and then us having a threesome. So it's just not, that's just, that. that's where I'm coming from of a place of not understanding. But Dave, you have explained it, and uh, and I certainly um, appreciate it. So uh, let me then go into TMA fan page questions and see what we have doing. I don't even know what we have doing. It's a cardinal question to start, and I'll answer a cardinal question. I'm going to have a sip of a beverage. Don't be alarmed. It's just a sip of a beverage. Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast, so make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. What would I like for the Cardinals to do to consider it a successful offseason? My belief is that the Cardinals are going to trade. Um, I think Dexter Fowler will not be a Cardinal in 2020. I want to make this clear because if he is, this is not me saying Dexter Fowler will not be a Cardinal. I think Dexter Fowler will not be a Cardinal in 2020. I think the Cardinals will wind up eating a healthy portion of what's remaining on his contract those two years. Um, and I think the Cardinals will... Um, either be trading for or signing, and I tend to think it'll be more likely trading for um, a big bat who plays in the outfield. Because unless they do get Anthony Rendon, which I wouldn't necessarily consider likely, I'd like to think they're going to be aggressive on that. Um, The third base situation most likely would be Tommy Edmond. 
Shortstops, Paul DeYoung, whether one likes it or not, that's pretty much locked in. Second base is Colton Wong, and first base is Paul Goldschmidt. And then you have Yadier Molina behind the plate. Okay, now we've knocked that out. Where did the offense improve? Because those five guys were all out there for the debacles offensively against the Braves and Nationals. Um, And then you look at the outfield. And if Ozuna is gone, and I would say, I actually think there's a chance he winds up taking the qualifying offer by the way. So I'm, there's another thing I'll put out there if you want to parlay my uh, my half-assed predictions. Um, and, and although I did hit on the Nationals and Astros, I'm pretty sure that, that would be, you'd be able to find archives of that um, being meeting in the World Series. Um, and if, if Ozuna's gone and if Fowler's gone, well, now you have these openings in the outfield, and that's where I think you could see them um, make a move to either sign or um, acquire um, a player via trade for the outfield. Now, who that would be, honestly, I don't know. Um, but that's what I think is going to happen. There is this thing among the fan base, and again, it's not, it's, I don't even know how, what percentage, but I don't think it's like a 1%. I think it's a, a healthy portion, not majority, but a healthy portion that has this thing that the Cardinals will not uh, spend money or do anything in the off season. I just, I'm like, God. It's really like where I break with a lot of people in the audience, I guess. And I'm just, man. I mean, we might not like what they've done, but they have done a lot in the last few off seasons. Because usually I just start with the Ozuna acquisition two years ago and the Goldschmidt one last year. But really, when you go back three years, you include Dexter Fowler in there. Um, and, and, you know, because he was one of that that off season, one of the top, at least perceived, one of the top free agents coming off of um, the Cubs World Series. So that's 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 why I'm just like they're not just going to sit back. I just don't I just don't believe that, and I don't I also don't believe the evidence points to them doing that. The trade deadlines have been disappointing, but. Um, this is the first trade deadline since 2015 where I wanted to see him do something. And what I wanted to see him do was starting pitching. I was, I don't know if I was fine with the offense. I was just like, I don't know what they're going to do with the offense. So get a starting pitcher because they need a starting pitcher and they didn't do anything. That bothered me. Uh, as it turns out, that wasn't uh, what wound up doing them in. But that's what bothered me at the time. So I would be shocked if the Cardinal outfield is some combination of Bader, Fowler, Matt Carpenter, you know, Arazarena, Garcia, I don't know, name your Carlson. I just don't think, I think they're going, I think they're going to add at least one bat to the outfield. At least. That's what I think. And I guess, you know, uh, I guess there was a thread on Cards Talk last year on stltoday.com. I never read it. I just remember seeing it, but I'm now at a point after 20 years of this stuff of knowing certain places it's no good to click on things because psychologically it'll it'll lead to like a couple days worth of therapy. And Cards Talk is a place where I would imagine I don't have a whole lot of fans. Uh, and I'm talking about the forum on stltoday.com. So I, I didn't click on it, but I remember this was like a week before it happened. McKernan says the Cardinals are going to get Goldschmidt. And I imagine then it was a bunch of people talking about how I'm a pervert and I don't know what I'm talking about and all those things. So part of me is kind of like, I wouldn't mind going back and seeing that thread then after it happened. But it just felt like it was kind of obvious based on the way the Cardinals do business, have done business for a couple of decades, based on 
Paul Goldschmidt being who Paul Goldschmidt is, which is why I kind of think there's a chance of Rendon being a fit in St. Louis, but I don't know if they win the World Series um, if if that uh, changes things. I don't know if, if they lose the World Series or changes things. I don't know. But I'm talking about personality-wise. Um, so I just I kind of sensed it. On this move, I don't sense any particular at the moment but I just would be shocked. There's how can you how can you go into 2020 with the same offense, or even or actually would be worse if you don't have Ozuna, and then sell that to fans. There's just no way with the caliber of the starting rotation they have, and you know, for better or for worse, there is potential in the offense on the infield. You can't go into the 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 2020 season with the names I just listed. So I imagine there will be somebody who's currently on another roster who will be part of the Cardinals here within the next two months. And I say that very confidently, but but yet I, I sense that there are some fans who just don't believe that's happening. I'm going, God, what, why do you think that? Because the evidence doesn't suggest that. The recent evidence doesn't suggest that. Just like the recent evidence does not suggest that the Cardinals will get a free agent that everybody in, is bidding for. It, it also doesn't suggest that, but it also doesn't suggest that they just stand pat. So... Um, I could see Carlos Martinez being a chip in that move, but I don't know what Carlos Martinez's value is. Carlos Martinez's value would be upside with a starting pitcher salary being favorable um, more so than recent performance. Um, but I don't know what that gets you. Like, does that get you the answer and take your pick of whatever position? Um so anyway, I feel I feel comfortable saying that um, that they add at least one big bat to the outfield, and um, that would be my expectation. And if that does not happen, I will be more than happy to say, "Holy shit, I was wrong!" And what are they doing? If if those names that I listed are who's in the outfield um, on uh, what is it, March twenty seventh of uh, twenty twenty? Let's see what else we have. What books have you read that are must-reads? Um, you know, I get asked this every once in a while on questions from the audience, and uh, and, I, and I just, it's, and I read this, God, when was it written? I'm sitting here in front of my laptop, so, um, let's see, it was John Ronson, 2015, so it's four years ago, so you've been publicly shamed, and I just think it's, I just, God, I can't recommend it enough. I just can't recommend it enough. And when I read it, um, public shaming wasn't like what it's become now. Like it's like it's a um, cancel culture was not part of the nomenclature. Um, it, it, whereas I don't even know if it was a year ago. I mean, I'm sure some people were saying it, but now I feel like it's mainstream. And having experienced it to an extent... Um, I think that's why I have a fascination with the topic, but I also just in general feel like, I don't know if I want to say a democracy because then it almost sounds like it's political, but a culture and under the umbrella of culture would certainly follow its government and political parties and elections, but culture as a whole is curtailed, its progress is curtailed when members of the culture fear that their words will lead to substantial penalty. And 
I already had experienced it to an extent, again, indirectly. Um, and this book is an anecdote, uh, is, excuse me, a series of anecdotes with people who are on the receiving end of uh, public shaming, the, the proverbial, now it's become almost a cliche, the Twitter pitchfork mafia. And I'm reading the names now, um, Jonah Lehrer, Justine Sacco, Lindsay Stone, um, and now I'm on the Wikipedia page. He also interviewed controversial practitioners. And, I, and, and honestly, I think Justine Sacco is the woman who sent out the tweet she was taken off from New York or Chicago or something and flying to South Africa and made a joke about AIDS and then said something along the lines of, oh, forget it, I'm white, I won't get it. I believe that's what the tweet was. Hell, I guess I can click on her name and it's probably going to highlight it. Yeah, that's what that was her. Going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white, uh, she said, and she's a South African. And so she's on this 11-hour trip, didn't have access to her Twitter feed, for that 11-hour trip, and so people were, like, like enjoying waiting for her to land to see her reaction to the outrage the tweet had caused. And by the time she had landed in South Africa, she'd already been fired from her job. Um, it, I have to tell you, I don't know if I would call it a scary book, but it's a very uncomfortable read, but I think it's an important read. So that one stands out to me. Um, more often than not, I don't know when the last time I read fiction was. So um, our family always goes to Sanibel in November. We, it's our wedding anniversary. And uh, we go with Anna Marie's family. So um, I'll read at least one book while we're down there. And, uh, and, I, and I look for it. And every year, I've been going now for more than a decade, um, Every year, uh, I know I'm I'm looking for, you know, nonfiction. I like biographies, um, you know, and it's it's not locked into like you know. I remember reading, um, either it was last year or two years ago, George W. Bush's book about his father, which I thought was just, you know, a, a beautiful story of admiration and also maybe like a defense in some capacity. Um, of his father um, and some of the decisions he made, perceived failures of his presidency, whatever the case might be. But it was really just a tribute from a father to a son. And this is before George H.W. Bush had passed. Um, I think I've read Joe Books, uh, Joe, Bush, Joe Books, Joe Buck's book down there. So I look forward to it. Um, but yeah, so you've been publicly shamed is, like I said, I kind of look at it and I go, ah, oh, it kind of gives me like, I kind of, tense up when I look at it the book but I think it's so important to read um, because I think it's such a it's such a bad thing what's going on uh, that you know and now there's like a backlash to the backlash of people calling attention to it and then they kind of like get then like, so I guess, I don't know, I guess I'd be, I don't know if I'd be put in that category or not. I, I'm always kind of fascinated what categories I get put into. Because um, I don't even know what the fuck I'm, I, I am. I have no idea. Well, you're a liberal. And I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, in the 2016 Missouri primary, I voted for John Kasich. So, you know, I mean, uh, you know, okay. But how do, how do you, how do you like 
make that one work. Um, but with regard to uh, Ronson and that book, I just would say I would I would read it. But I, I also know I'm not giving you something to read that you're going to be like, oh, that was wonderful. You're going to be like, oh, shit, that was kind of rough. So, but w- with with the, you know, it's like, I guess, Rogan, Chappelle, I don't know who else, um, are kind of like now, like, like so then their followers are like kind of portrayed, and I don't know, followers isn't, isn't the right word, fans of whether it be Chappelle's recent Netflix special or Rogan's. And I even realized Rogan spent a lot of time on it, honestly, and I listened to his podcast. I don't listen to all his episodes. I kind of pick and choose on guests. That like then the audience is portrayed as like bros, you know, like and, and which kind of is a way of like suggesting they're not as enlightened. And I just I, I always disagree. I, I you know it's it's the same thing I said on on the morning after the morning after of okay on the Ryan Kelly morning after the morning after the November 16 presidential election. Um, first off, I said and I'm proud to have said this. Uh, that I'm more concerned about the Missouri governor than uh, than President Trump, and by that I felt I said I'm not a fan of President Trump's or at that time President-elect Trump, but um, at least you kind of have an idea of what you got there with Greitens. There's like this is a problem because this guy's acting one way, but my read is this is a total total farce, and this guy's a problem. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, once again, I will wave my, I was right on that one because I think it's important if you have that kind of intuition. Um, and so with that all said, um, you know, I'm kind of calling it how you see it the morning after saying things that might've been popular, might've been unpopular. I don't know, but I felt like it kind of became like, okay, if you voted for Donald Trump, the way that people who were very unhappy about it were like, okay, you're a racist or you at least you're, you're cool with racism at the, at the cost of, you know, being the price you pay to have your 401k grow as you know, the financial sector is going to enjoy his presidency, whatever it was. And that the people who voted for him were dumb. And I'm just like, okay, you know, I mean, and, and maybe in some cases, maybe it's a decent percentage actually, um, that may be the case. You may have racists. I would, I mean, if you're asking me, do I have to, am I going to bet a hundred dollars on racist being, I'd be like, yes, there were some, no question about it in my mind. That is the case. That's where I am on that. But the man received tens of millions of votes. Are we going to go? Everyone who voted for him was a racist. No, everyone who voted for him was dumb. No. I mean, are we, are we really going to do that? But that's the way that, so if you're painting people with a brush that demeans them, you're doing no service to getting them to consider the perspective you want them to consider. That's my point. That's my point. So I try to be cognizant of that and careful with it. And, and so, you know, I, I remember the morning after Obama had won his second term, producer Joe, to an extent, Doug, were like stunned. And I'm like, what in the hell were you guys thinking was going to happen? But that's because all the polling data said that President Obama was going to win fairly comfortably, which he wound up doing. But then you look four years later, and then I'm going, okay, was I looking at the wrong thing? Now, this wasn't like limited to the perceived liberal media, but I think everybody, I mean, Hillary Clinton was like minus like 2,000 to win, <laughs> to win uh, on the night of the election. And... Uh, so what was going on there? 
Uh, I read a story. Who was it? Katie Turr's book. Read her book. What's her book called? Uh, I didn't think it was as good as So You've Been Publicly Shamed, for the record. What the hell was that called? But since I'm citing it, Unbelievable was the name of it. My front row seat to the craziest campaign in American history. And, uh, and as she tells it, the, uh, and this isn't like something that's up for debate, the, uh, the, where, what wound up being the celebration of the election of Donald Trump was at the Hilton in Midtown, Manhattan. And it happens to be a hotel I've stayed at a few times, not recently, but um, twice within the last, I guess, 12 years. And I remember thinking to myself, God, what a weird thing for Donald Trump, who has what he has, to have his party there. And the reason why she points that out is that the people who were going there didn't think he was going to win. And he didn't think he was going to win, and so he didn't want it to be this big glamorous thing because it was going to be, a, you know, a night where they were having a, you know, having to make a concession speech. Uh, and it's not to say that the Hilton isn't nice. It's just not, you know. I've also stayed, and actually, I think I've stayed in. A, it's no longer called Trump Soho or something like that. Um, but I stayed. I've stayed there. It's a much nicer hotel. Why wouldn't he do it at one of his places? Why wouldn't he do it at a more grand place? Well, because they didn't think they were going to win. So on, 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 on the President Trump's side, they didn't think they were going to win. The reason I bring it all up is, is it depends on what bubble you're getting your information from. But on that one, everyone thought, or the vast majority of people, didn't think he was going to win. But we have a lesson from that for 2020. Because right now it's like, well, Joe Biden would beat him. Elizabeth Warren would beat him. I'm like, okay, but... I do think there's something to some people going, I'm never going to publicly say I'm going to vote for him because I don't want that to be something where people then turn on me and call me either dumb or a racist. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. Um, So I think when you get polling data, especially regarding Donald Trump, you have to tread lightly with its accuracy. And if we didn't learn that from 2016, we're never going to learn it. But that's, I was, I remember wondering at that morning, I really regret not saying that on the radio because I remember thinking it, but I didn't say it. So it's kind of like, well, who fucking cares? How do I believe you were thinking it? No, you're, you'd be a hundred percent right. But I do remember thinking that. Um, so anyway, the unbelievable, my front row seat, to the craziest campaign in American history I read here relatively recently. Um, but if you're asking me for one book, uh, it would be so you've been publicly shamed. And it's, like I said, it'll make you cringe. All right, what else we got here? What else we got here? Uh, I'm sure you have a list of guests that for whatever reason won't join the show or podcast. Who is the one you would love to get the most if it was possible? I get this question every once in a while. It's a good question. I'm going to enjoy a beverage. So that's the silence you shall hear. Will hear? Shall hear? Will. Um... Let's see. Uh, you know, it, it has been over the year, at this point, years. Uh, Dave Peacock, we got him. Jay Nixon, we got him. I would love to get Kevin Demoff. I think it's probably self-explanatory while that, why that hasn't happened. Stan Kroenke, but that's not going to happen. I think Demoff is actually in play. I, do I consider it likely? No. Um, but I think it's at least in play. Um, and then um, Quinn Snyder is the one I always say that if he were to be honest... Uh, I would love to hear that. I would love to hear that. I would love to hear that. Um, God. 
I'm really digging deep. I mean, it's 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 such a credit to the people who have produced this show that we've gotten the names we've gotten, and it's like every single week there's some. And I realize, listen, it's how I am. I just made reference to Rogan. Sometimes there's guests that just don't get me going, and then there's sometimes it's like when Conan O'Brien. I kind of like ah, this podcast, it's okay, but and then he had Letterman on. I'm like, oh, they're the fucking greatest. You know, and Stern had Kimmel on when he was in L.A. a couple of weeks ago. And then I'm driving along today and he's got Kimmel on again. And it's a totally different Kimmel appearance. But they're friends and now Kimmel's in New York, so he's in the studio. I'm like, man, these two guys, I could listen to them anytime. It's kind of how I like with Young Pages. I can fuck, fuck around with him anytime he wants to, anytime he's in St. Louis and he comes in. Uh, I feel that way with like Learn, even though she hasn't been on in a while. So um, I don't know, man. I mean, Quinn Snyder, Kevin Demoff. Again, we're, we're operating in the scope of what is realistic because if we're going to go beyond what's realistic, Eric Greitens, I suppose, that, that's, I just, that's the first time I've ever really thought about it. But honestly, I kind of am like, I don't think he's going to be honest, so it, I don't think it would go well. Um, you know, and that's why what I always say that about Quinn. It's like Quinn, Quinn, I think, has just gotten a long-term deal with the Jazz. He's surging as an NBA coach. Like, why would he ever do this? Like, would he do it? Yes, I bet he would. Would we get answers that I think people, and I don't even know how many people are even like looking for it. It's been more than 10 years since he left Columbia. But I just think there's a lot there. I, I had a conversation with Quinn Snyder. It had to be 03 or 04, where, because I was working at KMOV, because I remember I, I started the conversation in front of where KMOV still is and drove to my place, my condo in Clayton, and this was during rush hour, so it wasn't like a quick 15-minute trip. And the entire time he was talking. And I didn't even really know him that well. And he was just like, I mean, it was, if I had, and I couldn't do it unless he was on board with me releasing it, which he never would be. And I wasn't recording it, that's the point. But if I had, and I could play it for people, people would be like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. It's more titillating, it was more titillating than my conversations with Kevin Demoff before the Rams moved. Um, I think a lot of that people be like, yeah, I knew that. Or, yeah, I thought that was going on. Um, with Quinn, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it was with names and examples. I'm like, oh, my God. So I knew it was all there. And then he came on the show. And I'm like, man, you ought to come on the show and give your perspective. And this is when I was doing a show with Frank Cusimano. And so he does come on the show. Might have come on the show the next day. God, I wonder what, when this was. Like, what year exactly? Because we got, like, in an argument in March or April of 03 uh, at the Hearn Center. He came after him. It was really weird. Um, so I don't know if it would have been after. Yeah, it had to have been after. I guess it would have to have been after that because I started doing radio in 2002, and, um, and I worked with Frank, I think, from, like, June of 03 to when we started the morning grind in July of 04, I think. I don't know. Maybe like Buck Swope has this information. The reason I say it is because it's when I was doing the show with Frank, so I was curious if it happened. I bet the reason why we got on the phone was I wanted to clear up whatever the hell caused him to get so pissed off at me at the Hearn Center. Like I said, that was fucking weird too. Um, but uh, so he comes on the show. It's me and Frank Cusimano. And um, and he and he wound up not, wound up not even coming close to saying the stuff that he said when he was on the radio or on the phone with me. It was just the two of us. But then he said something that was really in his mind a benign comment about how people have these expectations for our program, but they have to remember it's not like we've gotten 
you know, all the McDonald's high school Americans that we get, you know, credit for getting or being in the mix for. We've gotten only one. And so people have to understand that or something along those lines. And it was Trayvon Bryant, for those of you who remember this 15 years ago. And uh, and then that that comment, which was I didn't even think anything. Of, I don't think Frank anything, thought anything of it, um, wound up causing all hell to break loose because people are like, what, you don't think highly of Jimmy McKinney, you know, because St. Louis guy. And, and then that that pissed some people off. And then I remember Quinn either. I don't know if texting was going on then or calling me or whatever. And he goes, that's it. He goes, I tried. And, and even something where I was trying to explain my perspective, it gets me lit up. He goes, so basically, fuck it. I don't, I'm done. People, no matter what I do, people are going to be on my ass and I'm just kind of fucking resigned to it. And that's, that's where he was. God, he was 30 because he turned 33 or four when he got the job in 99. So he's only like, he wasn't even 40. So, uh, yeah, Quinn would be, Quinn would be in that category. Absolutely in that category. All right. What else we got? I'm going to emails now. Okay. Now this one got wound up getting a few emails. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. Again, plenty of people can know but cares, and Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503, or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart. And just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. So let me give the backstory on this. We're going back into politics here, but not really. Because um, it's more about journalism slash politics, if you want to call TMA journalism. So the Blues visit the White House to, um, you know, tradition. They win the Stanley Cup. They visit the White House. Wrapping up the road trip, and they stop by the White House. I'm going to have a beverage. And it's, uh, it's scheduled with President Trump. President Trump's, you know, dealing with what he's dealing with. And, and so I was like, man, I really want to watch this. And uh, somebody tweeted the link to where I could watch it. And I'm watching it on my phone. And I'm just like, this is the most bizarre fucking thing I've ever seen because the blues and the Stanley cup are up on the stage right behind the president. And initially he welcomes them. And I watched all, I think it was like 28 minutes. Initially, he welcomes him, and he's kind of doing his thing. It's, you know, there's, there's not a doubt in my mind. He didn't see a minute of a blues game. Um, which is fine. Uh, I mean, I'm sure President Obama welcomed all kinds of teams and had no clue, but he read what was prepared for him, and off, off, off you go. Um, but whatever. It's that that wasn't the part that was bizarre. Um, what was bizarre was he goes into the situation in Turkey and Syria and the situation with the impeachment, and the whole time you have these awkward smiles on the faces of like Tom Stillman and. And guys on the team, while he's just clearly ad-libbing, which is what he obviously does when he addresses the media most of the time anyway. And it was just like, I can't get enough of this. I can't stop watching it. This is just phenomenal. You know, this could be like if the Sharks would have won the Cup or the Bruins would have won the Cup, I would have I would have watched this just because I was like, this is you can't not watch this. 
Um, and and then he introduced once he's done with talking about impeachment and uh, in Syria and Turkey and Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo's trip over, uh, he then um, introduces all the representatives from the metropolitan area and from Missouri um, who who were there. And one of them uh, is a gentleman by the name of Billy Long. And and one of the things that, um, that uh, I thought to be most amazing about the... Um, the Stanley Cup celebration at the White House was when the president called up a gentleman to auction off the Stanley Cup in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then when Billy Long's done doing his things, Billy Long is an auctioneer, but he's also a representative from the Springfield, Missouri area. Uh, president Trump goes, and this wasn't even planned, as if there were people watching going, oh, I thought this was scripted because this is so well organized. I mean, it's just batshit, but it's what it is. It's, you're, at this point now, you're kind of used to it. Um and, and as Doug said the next day, Doug Vaughn said the next day, and then Caller Biff said the next day, this is why people love him. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is why people don't trust him. And I'm not talking about, like, making things up. I'm talking about, like, this is just clearly just off the cuff and filling time and, you know, using the opportunity to talk about impeachment and all this stuff. But some people obviously think it's the greatest thing in the world. God bless. Whatever. I wasn't making a comment on that. I bring up Billy Long, the auctioneer, and then Iggy goes, oh, I worked with Billy Long. And I'm like, of course you did. Who haven't you worked with? We bring up Stevie Nicks, and you were on a couch with her at the Ritz-Carlton in 19, the 1980s. You know what I mean? It's like we can't name a name without Iggy having a connection. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to go see if he'll come on the show right now. I'm just like, what? No. You know, he gets up, and he walks out. And then so the next day on the uh, captain's log, I see that Iggy has booked Billy Long. And I figured Billy Long, being a U.S. representative, doesn't have a whole lot of time. Um, and it's going to be like, a, yeah, Iggy, it's great to hear from you. Yeah, it was funny that I auctioned off the Stanley Cup for $65,000. Oh, President Trump, I love him. You know, it's so much fun. It was great to see the blues there. And it'd be like a quick hit. I didn't anticipate an interview. But then, as it wound up happening, uh, he eventually did cut the interview off, but not because he was angry. He couldn't have been more friendly but because he needed to get going. But I think he was on with us for a half hour. And the interview, and I blame myself for just flat out, it was a miscalculation of what the interview was going to be. I thought it was going to be a fun little, you know, like if Roy, like if Roy let me put it this way, Roy Blunt, who I have a better idea of, he's been around and he's, you know, certainly more well-known in St. Louis, at least I would think, than Billy Long. We're coming on the show to talk about the Blues being at the White House and him being at the White House, you know, when they celebrate the Stanley Cup. I wouldn't be like, oh, good, this is my opportunity to ask Senator Blunt some hard-hitting questions. I'd be like, okay, I know what this is. I get it. He's probably got five minutes. And if I were to ask him about impeachment or his perspective on what is currently going on with the Kurds, it would be inappropriate isn't a word I like to use, but... Uh, it's uh but it, it would be it would just it, it wouldn't be the right time or place for it it puts him in an awkward spot it makes the listeners feel weird because it's not it's not what he's there for but billy long is this gregarious guy who iggy worked with and clearly he's he's open to spending some time talking and and then as it goes on he's he's getting into some detail 
Um, and it becomes this fascinating interview. And so Doug uh, is is engaged and he's asking about some things regarding, you know, I think he asked about impeachment or I know it came up for certain. And Billy Long said some things that really irritated a portion, a sliver, but a portion of the audience still. And the text inbox on the show was lighting up and some people were really pissed off that he was on and that he was in their minds regurgitating Fox News talking points, Donald Trump talking points, Breitbart talk, whatever they were, talking points. And we're pissed that we were having him on. Meanwhile, there also were a bunch of people, more people, actually, not that that should be surprising, but more people who loved the interview, not because they loved the content, but because they're President Trump fans. Again, the reason why is not surprising. We're in Missouri. And they loved the interview. But there were also a number of people who said, I can't stand Donald Trump or I consider myself a Democrat and I really am enjoying this interview. So um, that it became a topic on the show of how to handle a situation where you have um, somebody in office saying things that some of the listeners were saying were factually inaccurate or talking points or were advancing, advancing President Trump's agenda and then not have either somebody else from the other side or just allowing that person to be on. And, um, you know, honestly, what I was thinking throughout the whole time um, is not the whole time, but like once we're about 15 minutes in and it was clear that this guy was going to talk about way more than the Blues being at the White House was, man, I wish I would have known that he was going to go into this because I would be in a different position in this interview to ask him questions, not to like hold him accountable and scream at him or anything like that. But I just thought it was going to be like a drive-by interview. And I wasn't angry about that. That's just what I expected. Um, but I don't know Representative Long. And um, and I don't think any of us necessarily thought it was going to be. And I did wind up asking some questions. But uh, what people were unhappy with is he was saying things that just weren't true. And candidly, I didn't know if they were true or they were false. Um, and so I was disappointed in myself for not... Again, I, it, to say I wasn't prepared would make it sound like I knew I had this interview and then I just dismissed it. Uh, but it, it, like I said, I mean, I've, God, how many times have we had like a, a big name on, especially when Iggy would get those like media tours and they'd be like, okay, you have 10 minutes and then the PR person would be like counting you down and then they'd tell you, you can't ask about this, 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 this. You're only going to talk about this, 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 this. And then you have the choice. Do you want the per to have the person on? Usually I say no. I have zero interest in those kinds of interviews. But if Billy Long were coming in to do the podcast, which would be kind of weird as a Springfield, Missouri representative, um, then I would be in a totally different mindset and there would be preparation. So I hope that explains where I'm coming from. But either way, I'm like, man, this sucks that I didn't expect this interview to become what it's become. I apologize. Random yawn. Um, and, uh, and, and, and therefore, I'm not, I'm not as prepared as I would like to be for this kind of interview. Um, now, a lot of it wasn't was was more what it's like being in Congress at this moment. Um, but he did say some things that I that I know irritated some people. So I've got a few questions here. Uh, one was really short. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Billy Long interview? What did you like slash dislike? One thing I noticed is that while he was critical of Adam Schiff's handling of the inquiry, he never said, quote, Trump did nothing wrong for a 
Big Trump supporter. I found that very interesting. That's from the Hunchback of Von Castle. And then this one. Hey, Tim, just PLTD, the Billy Long interview. Sending this in early because I didn't want to forget to get it in for next week's QFTA podcast, and I thought it raised some good questions. I thought it was interesting. Billy seemed like a good dude, but what really caught my attention was the audience's response. The amount of people prejudging this guy, specifically that he butchered a Muslim gentleman's name on purpose because he was Muslim. It's actually Ilyan Omar, not a gentleman, a woman representative from Minnesota, was pretty alarming and insanely ridiculous. Uh, Both parties to me are no longer political parties, but religions. At this rate, it seems in the near future, people will be sending their kids to all Democratic or Republican schools, attending all Democratic or Republican churches, and only spending their money at businesses that support either Democratic or Republican parties. Partially just kidding, but now it really seems like if you disagree with someone on literally anything that their mighty gods of Washington preach to them, you are a blasphemous ignorant moron and you should be canceled to society to me a swing voter with no particular particular political preference it's a huge turnoff there is a zero percent chance for me to vote either side in 2020 not just because i think the politicians suck but their minions really suck too i don't want to be mean but hardcore democratic and republican citizens to me are the exact same people which brings me to my question Do you think that this is a joint strategy from both right and left wing politicians to turn American people against each other so that there will never be a third party that has a legitimate chance? The question seems outrageous and maybe too, quote, woke. But if there were three parties that had an equal shot at winning an election, it would be safe to say it would probably take money out of both Democratic career politicians and Republican career politicians, pocketbooks, as well as campaign donations. Uh, that comes from, I guess, somebody who wants their name withheld. So uh, I'll answer your questions, but I thought the first paragraph, well, nobody knows what the paragraph break was, but me and the person who wrote it in. Um, but the first paragraph were the statements, and then the second one were started with, which brings me to my question. As in, is this a strategy? No, I do not think it's a strategy. And I bet a lot of people liked hearing that because it kind of lends itself to conspiracy and people like that. Um, but I do not think it is an intentional strategy. I do not think it is an intentional strategy at all. Um, let's see. The question seems outrageous and maybe too woke, but if there were three parties that had an equal shot at winning an election, it'd be safe to say it would take money out of the Democrats and the Republicans. I get it. And now that it's happened, maybe people are going, oh, yeah, that could be a strategy. But I don't think it was a strategy. Um, I do think something that I had never thought of until I read this email regarding um, political parties being like religions and people sending their children to all Democratic or all Republican schools, that one I actually think has a better chance of being truthful than this being a strategy to eliminate third parties. Um, If anything, I think there's a good chance you're going to have, whether it be a third party or a... God, I apologize. I was fucking. I couldn't fall asleep last night till one o'clock, and so I'm on like four hours of sleep. Holy shit! How awkward is this? But hey, this is how I talk, and this is the situation. So here's what we got today. I could tell Pete to edit it out, but whatever. It sounds. Uh, I'm sure it sounds terrible. But uh, regarding the school thing and the churches thing, I could on that. I'm like, yeah, I could see that happening. Um, Billy Longley asked him, "Do we think? Do you think we've reached rock bottom, or is it going to get?" worse and he said he thinks it's going to get worse and I agree you know uh, off air this morning it was just me the cat and Doug 
Plowhawk and Iggy out smoking. And we're in a commercial break. And the cat, who I think, I don't know, I don't know. I, the, the cat used to say, I'm middle of the road, I'm middle of the road. And I'd be like, okay, I, you're, you're right wing. Now, there's no question in my mind he's middle of the road. Um, and maybe I was wrong the whole time. I don't know. But now he's no question middle of the road. And I think, I think, I don't think he would say this because that isn't really what he would would do or the way he operates on the show. But I think he respects where I'm coming from politically. Not necessarily that he agrees with it per se, but I think he thinks that I call it how I see it. And I think he respects that. I could be wrong because I know that's a self-indulgent comment. But the reason I bring it up is he asked me not to like get some kind of confirmation on his view. Um, he said, do you think President Trump's going to get impeached? And it's just me, him, and Doug. And as you can imagine, you know where Doug is. But he's asking me. And I said, no. I said, but I think it's more live, as in it's got a better chance of happening than I think the majority of people think. Um, so what I would, what I would add to that is, and I want to make it clear, I still do I, my proverbial making a bet. If I had to bet $100, I would say, no, he will not get impeached. But I think it has a higher probability of what, than what I think a lot of people think. But that doesn't mean that that means it's a high probability. Okay. Um, so with that said, um, with regard to, you know, breaking it down by people attending all Democratic or Republican churches and only spending their money at business to support, you know, their particular political views. If, let's just say, if President Trump were impeached, and I, again, I, I don't know how it could happen at this moment, as I'm talking on October 21st, 2019, um, that I think you would have uh, another step closer closer to a civil war. And I'm not talking about blue and gray and north and south, but uh, the continuation of the division in the country. I, all hell would break loose. Um because it's already so bad as it is. I mean, it really, I guess I wasn't alive for it, but it, it has to be similar to what was going on in the, the late 60s and the 70s with Vietnam. So you already had people polarized as it is, and then you have Nixon and Watergate. Um, I mean, my thought is, is that I think it, it started out as a political strategy, and now, as in we got to make a play for impeachment, and then, then it became, oh, well, now we actually have something and now we can justify making the play for impeachment, but knowing we're not going to really do it to now going, okay, maybe there really is something here. And now there might be, that's what I think. I, again, I could be, this is absolutely spitballing. So with that all said, um, if it were to happen, so just playing it out and what percentage do I put on it happening? Oh, I was going to say 7.5%. So for the sake of rounding up, we'll go 8%. Um, I think I think all hell would break loose. I mean, I think it all all hell would break loose because he doesn't resign. Nixon resigned uh, once he lost his Republican support. President Trump isn't resigning. I just don't see it happening. Now, maybe it does, but I don't see it happening. And um, and you have you know you have people who, of course, absolutely worship the man. Going, you've. You, you forced out our guy, then they will make it a living hell for 
Democrats and if the next president's a Democrat, whatever the case might be. And some of you Democrats might be going, well, they already did that before with Obama, you know, and now you can say, well, now they're doing it to Trump, whatever. But my, my point is, I think it then is exacerbated. And I think it is, you know, and so I'm not saying it should or shouldn't, or I don't want it or whatever. I'm just saying, what do I think will happen if it were to happen? I think all hell would break loose. And I don't know if people are necessarily thinking about those ramifications. Um, I guess they're just like, well, if he did this, then he needs to be voted out. Then okay, uh, or impeached, I should say, or voted out in November of 2020. But that it voted out is a much different conversation than impeached. So, because um, even I mean, the thing I was thinking, I remember thinking this on the morning of election day in November 2016, going, okay, Donald Trump's going to lose tonight, but this guy's like never lost. That was my perception. And now feeling like I have a better understanding of it, I would imagine he's lost plenty of times. He just never acknowledges that he loses. That's the deal. So let's say he loses in November of 2020, um, which if you're asking me if I think that's going to happen at this moment, I would say I don't think it's going to happen. Um, That if he were to lose, just for the sake of playing it out, how would he handle that? I don't know. I mean, what a... What a, can you can you imagine inauguration in in January of 2021 with Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or maybe Pete Buttigieg and Donald Trump is sitting there supportively? I mean, I just I have a tough time imagining that. I'm not saying he wouldn't do it. It's just like it's hard to imagine. Again, I think he's going to win, um, and I'm not somebody who is going to be voting for him. But I'm just giving you my honest opinion. It's one of those things weird when it's like I put up a poll question regarding Missouri football and people got mad about it, just asking the question of whether or not they want to see Barry Odom as the coach. And it's like, well, I'm just asking the question, like what's I'm just trying to get data. So just by acknowledging that I think that he's going to win in some people's minds, it makes me the bad guy, Um, which then gets us to this whole premise for the question. Um, And that is. Uh, people's anger with regard to politics and dividing people up, not necessarily by going to a Catholic school or whatever particular faith, but by going to schools that are Republican or Democrat. And actually, is it, I, I'm telling you, I don't think it sounds as asinine as it might when you first initially read it. Um, and that's weird but I kind of like yeah I kind of I kind of see it happen I mean, it, it is a it's a it's a weird spot um and it's just so it's so new and it's happened so quickly see, I think it's happened so quickly you know I remember going to we were lucky enough to go to um an event that President Obama held at the Renaissance Grand downtown in 2009 I believe um, and it's on my Facebook. I mean, he, he didn't have any gray hair at the time. And I remember walking in, and on the other side, on the north side of Washington, there were people, Tea Party people, as it turns out, screaming at us for going in. Screaming at us. And I remember thinking, boy, this is kind of a weird time in American politics. Okay, that was, God, I think it was 10, it might be 10 years ago to the day, actually, because I think it was October of 19. Um, and, uh, and it's, it'd be like nothing now. I wouldn't even think twice about it now. Wouldn't even think twice about it now. And uh, it, it's just because it just happened so quickly. 
And there's nothing, I don't know if there's anything I can turn on in the news that would surprise me at this point. So, yeah, the idea of people like having Republicans, if anything, it sounds like a business model to me, having Republican schools and having Democrat schools. I think it could happen. So, I don't know. It's a good, it's a, it's a good, it's a good question to take off of that. But the thing that I was going to say about the feedback that we were getting during that interview and, and what both people said were the audience is what stood out to them and the response from the audience. What I would say is this, I would imagine we got a few hundred texts with regard to that interview, but it, were, it was only about five people who were so upset about it. So that's the thing that I would want to drive home is it's the, it's the proverbial loudest voice in the room. The, and then we talk about it and it gets a lot of attention. So it makes it feel like it was a bigger deal. They were just really loud about it. Um, and so I'd, I'd want to point that out for what I think to be proper context on this. All right, let me see if I got anything else here. I'd love to try to get, oh, I don't know. Let's see. Oh, I don't know. Let's see. I'll go to the fan page. All right. Um, Timmy recaps. He never lets me down with questions, and this is how we'll finish. Why are companies still purchasing traditional ads in template form on radio when live reads from trusted personalities within the show are so much more viable? I'm much more inclined to purchase a product from a host leaning into an ad slash live read and playing off of it than a straight-laced commercial and an ad block between hours segments, which likely leads to the changing of channels, resulting in targeted listeners not hearing the commercial anyways. Quite frankly, I'm shocked traditional radio and old media still have a share of the listenership market right now. Um, it's a good question. It's a question that I can actually answer without giving any necessarily subjective, which certainly is a part of this. Um, the answer is those, those recorded spots that are in commercial breaks are much less expensive than the live spots. And for some people, their, um, their modus operandi with their marketing dollars is frequency. And so if you're going to buy, and I would say the live reads are, it depends, it's certainly a show-by-show show situation. But I think on our show, they're at the very least five times what one recorded spot is. So that's, that, that's the straight answer. But um, you may be making reference to me recaps because I know you enjoy Barstool's stuff, some of it at the very least, to what Erica Nardini tweeted. She's the Barstool CEO. I'm going to see if I can pull this up and read it because this actually does. This will get my synapses firing because I think this might be um, the, uh, the reason for your question because I saw her tweet this last week. So she's the... CEO of Barstool, and um, I want to see what her, because it was like 15 tweets about podcasting advertising. God, she tweets a lot. I thought maybe I'd be able to find it right at the top, but she tweets a lot. Let's see what we got. Um, this were, if I were Gangster Pete, I'd put the time kill music in because that's what happens when I do this stuff on the fly. But yeah, you know what? This is the organic magic that resonates with those of you who listen to this program on a weekly basis, and I'm so grateful for it. Oh, I just scrolled through Frances and uh, Portnoy doing their uh, pizza review. Let's see. Because I want to read the, the, the Twitter stream because I think, because as I was reading, I'm like, yeah, she's 100% right. So it's not a coincidence that I see 
um, let's see what she had to say as, um, okay, I think I finally found it. Fuck's sake, that took a long time. Okay, here we go. I'm going to take a beverage again. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first-hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy. I've got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which of course was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me. And I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the, on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope he does okay. The best the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Ah, uh, well, this will be interesting. I haven't read the whole thing. I read parts of it and it's 11 tweets. Erica Nardini, CEO of Barstool. Here's what she tweeted. I'm reading directly from her Twitter feed. This week in, is the podcast Upfront, where everybody tries to serve more drinks to the ad buyers than the next guy, just like the digital video Newfronts when they were created in 2008 and the Upfronts way, way before that. Um, with almost no barrier to entry, there are over 700,000 podcasts. Holy shit. Biggest challenges, distribution, monetization, and promotion. I would agree with that without question. Most will never break through. I would agree with that without question. I would say the vast majority. Uh, the advertising and ad tech people will try to wrangle another nonlinear, long-tail marketplace boom out of the Internet. They will institute templated ad formats and cheap rates, like banner ads. These, these formats will be ignored. Like radio, ad blocks will drive channel changing. See, that's why I thought you might be making reference to this, Timmy Recaps. Traditional media companies will struggle to strike gold because very few people in those companies understand the internet in the first place, and those people bear the tax of explaining to everyone else how the internet works. 
boy, right now I'm like I'm like holding up my hands is as I what she is saying. I would say preach on. They will create derivatives or buy their way into new IP, which will get little to no time on their major distribution platforms, television. The ad buys will be forced bundles to create a lower overall blended rate. That is correct as well. Now we're really kind of getting into the weeds here. Um, but this is what she's saying is the truth. It's still early for podcasts. The measurement platforms are fragile and unfunded and the metric for evaluation is flawed. I was about to say that it's it's a fucked up metric, but she took care of that and said it's flawed. So I agree again. The ecosystem has one giant who could care less and one who couldn't care more. Um, that's it. I don't know what she I don't know who she's referencing there uh, on that. So for those of you listening, if you could tell me who she's referencing there, unless she explains it later. Uh, team McKernan inside SDL.com. You'll see others trying to hang on to, I don't know if she's talking about like the media corporations. You'll see others trying to hang on to coattails and get derivative video IP to monetize separately. Okay, let me read that again. You'll see others trying to hang on to coattails and get derivative video IP to monetize separately. You'll see consolidation of rep networks and the carcasses of early unsustainable business models. Agree with that. We are taking a different approach. By we, she means Barstool. The relationship we care about is between the hosts and the listener. The only way the stoolies, uh, AWLs, daddy gangs, and minifans exist is because of hosts with ideas that resonate via conversations that are ongoing and by people who's have something, who I guess she meant, who have something captivating to say. Our ecosystem is designed to propel this forward. The internet always eats the middleman. There will be quick rises and faster falls. When you make ads the skippable, skippable middleman, they will get skipped. When you are a part of only one piece, but not the entire conversation, you will get lost. Uh, that is Erica Nardini. And what she said there, uh, she said it much more uh, astutely than I would, but what she said is, I, what she said, I agree with. 100%. And, um, you know, it's funny. I sometimes get into the conversations. I'm like, God, I'm talking too much with, if I meet a fan out. Um, and they'll say that they like this, they like that, and I love this or that. And it's just, you know, and then they'll ask a question because we kind of talk about the business of the business on the show. I guess I do. Um, because I want to try to explain to people what, what matters. What matters is that our advertisers get a return on investment. And so now we're in this the latest wild, wild west, because she makes reference to banner ads and how those really, you know, are something that were the hot thing at a time and nobody really was able to quantify a return on them uh, because people just ignore them. And that is podcasting. Even though podcasting has been along, around for a while, um, it's certainly, I, you know, as I would imagine, I've uh, said on this before, I was talking to a, a friend who said, yeah, the way, and he's in Chicago, and so nobody's driving to work, or very few people are driving to work, especially younger people. And so what do they do? You know, they're on their mass transit or however they're getting around, but they're not driving. And so they're podcasting. And so when people get into work, the question is, you know, what podcast did you listen to on your way in? That's the question. In St. Louis, I would imagine that percentage is very low relative to Chicago. But again, it's a commuter city relative to Chicago as far as percentages go. But the metrics for podcasts 
are flawed, as Erica said. What I found, so that resonated with me, is when I f- came up, I don't know, come up with the idea of doing a podcast like I had come up with some brilliant thing, but when I first started pitching the podcast to people, many of the ad buyers in St. Louis, I would wind up explaining to them how a podcast works. And I know some of you are listening to that because obviously you podcast, so you're listening to this. So you, you're coming at it and going, there's no fucking way that happened. But it, it did. And if I were to make calls today, it would also happen. And I'll explain why I believe that to be the case. You may have heard me say before that St. Louis, relative to other top 25 markets, and by that I mean population, market size, New York 1, LA 2, Chicago 3, St. Louis 21, um, that St. Louis's money and those who are in control of the money and those who have the money, I would say, and I have absolutely no data to back this up, just experience, is those people are older than what you would have in, God, I would think almost any of the other top 25 markets. I don't know where else you would have that. Um, And so, therefore, they are not as apt to buy podcasts, be hip to what is going on with podcasts, and therefore some things that are already mainstream in other cities and cities that don't have to be the size of New York, LA, or Chicago are still not in this market. And um, and while that might sound strange to somebody who is listening to this right now in Chicago, or you might go, yeah, well, of course, you know, it's one of the reasons why I live in Chicago is because I just can't stand how St. Louis is behind or how that old money kind of runs things or whatever. Um, but that's, that's, that's reality. I can tell you that's reality. Again, it comes from experience. Um, and so then you wind up with what you were asking about, Timmy Recaps, people buying um, recorded spots. But, I, but I, I also don't want to dismiss the viability of the recorded spot or frequency, as it's called, because I do think there's something to that. Um, but what I will tell people when they're, they're using me to, um, to do an ad campaign is don't write out what you want me to say word for word in the spot. Allow us to ad lib, allow us to, if you're comfortable with it, for it depends on the product and the business, but to, to, to you know, participate in what the show is, which is improv. So, um, and then that, that to me, that, that's going to resonate with somebody in the audience more than if I'm just reading copy. So I've been saying that for years. With podcasts, the tough thing for advertisers right now is to try to figure out what, because a podcast can be downloaded, but it doesn't mean it was listened to. So um, the metrics are flawed. You know, with that said, uh, everybody's playing off of this field, so you still get an idea. It's not like some people have some metrics. So therefore, you know, even if it may not be accurate, it's still the same metric for each one. So it still is the proper percentage, podcast over podcast, download over download. Um, what I, what I've, had, I've had a number of people suggest this to me. It's not something that at this moment I'm seriously considering, but uh, and I'll, I'll go ahead and use his name. I don't think he would have a problem with it. Maybe he would. I don't think he would. Patrick Donnelly, who worked, uh, who's so kind to work on the unofficial postgame show, setting all this stuff up, didn't get a dollar, you know, all the 
the, the distribution work that, that went into making sure that it was set up from a technologically proper standpoint, uh, he did. And he goes, I, I bet there are a lot of people in the audience who would much rather pay like eight ninety nine a month to have your stuff and support you guys than, than hear advertising or talk about here, talk about our advertisers or whatever the case may be. And so what I've, what I think has happened here is that has become more, um, I don't, I don't call it mainstream, but more acceptable to people. Whereas when it first was going on, it was like, how dare you ask me to pay for the content, which to me is kind of an odd thing, but it's not like only a handful of people were thinking that way. A lot of people felt that way because content was free, but content was free. I put it in quotes. Why? Because it was being funded by advertising. And so you do have this moment in time right now where some people are moving to Patreon, where people pay for additional experiences with the hosts they like, or uh, they can pay but then not have advertising in their podcasts or in their video experiences or whatever. And, um, and people are trying to figure out what's going to work. Um, you know, so for me with InsideSTL.com, having kind of been through this in some capacity before, I remember people would say, not a lot, but definitely a decent number, you're sitting on millions of dollars. And these were like people I respect. Too. This wasn't just like, you know, some guy hopped up on blow at a club in 2006 with, with InsideSTL.com. And I'm like, man, it's great you think that. I don't think that. I don't think that. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm privy to... To the to not I'm not talking, when I say the numbers I'm not talking about you know what the 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 phrase at that time was or the term at that time was unique visitors I'm I'm privy to the to the revenue and I'm privy to the conversations with the ad buyers and that's why the girl next door contest was so important because nobody really gave a shit about the banner ads they cared about the night that we would bring a bunch of people to their business and they'd make money that's what they cared about so that's what they were spending on if I would have said okay you can get the girl next door party. But then um, I'll give you a deal where it's 50% off, but then you don't get the banner ads. Everybody would have taken it in a heartbeat because they didn't give a shit about the banner ads. They didn't care. So that was a tough that was a tough part of it. Right now, I do think I see anyway, unlike then, I do see these avenues where you can take care of advertisers um, and, and deliver them a, a, a return that's going to enthuse them. So... And I think Barstool has certainly done that. I think TMA has done it. Um, so that excites me. That excites me. Because if somebody's like, yeah, I think I got an idea for the website with banner ads, I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out on that. And I realize in 2019, everybody's out on that. But, um, you know, there's different ways to go about monetizing. But what she said there, the tweet of the 11 that stood out to me, uh, the only way the stoolies, AWLs, daddy gangs, and mini fans exist is because of hosts with ideas that resonate via conversations that are ongoing and by people who have something captivating to say. And that's what matters. So um, that's the key. So, that, you know, with regard to TMA, we have been on 590. I'm actually going to do the math. I always talk about it, and then I never do the math. 590, so that's one, 1380. 590, 920, 
590, okay? So theoretically five different stations, three times KFNS, one time 1380, one time 920. I might be forgetting one, by the way, but I'm pretty sure that's the math. And it's like, okay, if we wound up on a different station, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. But I remember like talking with my father, who was a general sales manager, both in television and radio. And he's like, well, if you switch station, you're going to buy some billboards. You're going to, you know, get some commercials or whatever. And I'm like, I don't need to. I'm going to tweet about it and that'll wrap it up. Then people will know it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The people care about the content. And people love certain hosts, producers, and people hate certain host producers, but they care about the content. They don't care about this, which station. They care about the content. And it's, a, it's, it's something that, you know, a decade ago when we were making our, at that time, second move, you have a little um, little concern about it. now. I, I don't. It, you just don't think twice about it. I mean, I didn't think twice about it in 2013. At that point, I was the one guaranteeing the the deal uh, as an individual. So you know, when I think about that stuff, that 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 message resonates because um, it's 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 the personalities. And I do think we've had this conversation relative relatively recently. And it stands out to me because it's it's unheard of. Because if anything, the one thing you always hear in, in this business is there's a surplus of talent. And there absolutely is. It's still the case. It was the case when I was in journalism school in Columbia, you know, 20 years ago. And it's it's the case now. But, and this came from somebody, you know, who's high up in one of these, these places uh, saying this. Um, sure, there's plenty of talent, as in we can put people on to fill the time. But there is a shortage of talent who actually mobilizes audiences. And that's what we are now on the search for. And I'm like, wow, that's great to hear. Because any everything I've ever heard coming out of school was, well, you're going to have to take, you know, this much money because there's going to be 200 people who want the job. So that is what, what she says regarding, and I don't even know what AWLs and uh, daddy gangs that's from call uh call her daddy um you know that that's the key is you have loyal fans of the content wherever the content may be but i think for barstool the bigger thing is the barstool brand that's that's the thing that allows these people to get on platforms that would, would call her daddy ever experienced even half of the success it's experienced if it were just its own individual podcast no so that allows it to launch into a different status. So, so it, they can feed each other. But what I'm saying for our thing, I mean, we've bounced around and it just, it hasn't impacted it. If anything, it's actually made it bigger. I mean, I, I think TMA picked up people, uh, which was not the intent at all, picked up listeners um, with the weird stuff we went through in 2013 with the, the man and woman thing and then us starting our own station. That was not the plan. The plan was we just needed to keep the group together, and we knew that thing wasn't going to be in business long, so we had to we had to get off the ship before it sank. Uh, that wasn't any wizard-like strategy. The only strategy was we know it's going to go out of business, and we got to go. So, um, yeah, man, I I, I love I love the question because it's something that I can dig into. It wasn't necessarily something I didn't think I was going to dig into, but yeah, you're right. But but to to answer the, the first question, it's it's repetition, it's frequency. And that's what those provide. You can't do three live reads for one company per hour. 
uh, or else you'll wind up like what we had with Frances a couple weeks ago with the Pete Alonzo bat where he was so irritated how many times he had to do the spot. They just started going, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you do that with an advertiser. They're going to go, yeah, we'd like a make good on that one, Mike. But um, yeah, I, Erica, I just have, I mean, I'd love to just do an interview with her. But I mean, at the same time, it's almost like, she, you know, they kind of have the, the, the secret sauce and I don't, you know, I don't expect them to share it. But, you know, anybody who's observing this business knows if they don't if they don't talk about the word digital when they're having a conversation about the short-term future of this business and how to monetize it like people sit there and start talking about digital how can you monetize have you monetized it before you can talk about digital content how are you going to monetize it okay how is that going to be quantifiable as a return on investment for the advertiser if you can't answer those questions my advice is not to get involved in the game because that's the game now and that's certainly where the game is moving and to Barstool's credit, whether one likes their content, doesn't like their content, I don't know how you can dispute that they have that part figured out. Part of it is they have a monster capital infusion, which allows them to play that game, but they also built it. I also had another question. I think it was from Timmy Recaps, but I, we were just kind of BSing. And, he, and it was essentially, you know, do you look back on, like, as Barstool started at the same time as Inside STL, and are you like, could you have done that? what Barstool is. And I, I don't think so, but that that's because, you know, with Portnoy, that was his only thing. With me, I was making good money just doing the show. So I didn't have that fire. And also, candidly, Portnoy and that personality is such a um, big part of the brand. That's not my, I mean, it's not my personality. And I realize it might be in some capacity WWE theater, and God bless, um, I mean, God bless what he's built. God bless what all those people have built and continue to build. Uh, but for me, it's just not, for me, it's just not who I am or where I am. And if that means that means I don't have an empire, then so be it. I'm not, that's just not, that, that isn't like something that I'm lusting after. Um, you know, I mean, there's just for me priorities, not to say it's my only priority by any means, but priorities change as you, uh, as you grow up. And as when you have a wife and a child, it's just a different ball game. So I don't know if I can uh, necessarily say that that's something that I would have been able to do. Um, but but I also don't want to make it sound like anybody could have done it because the guy busted his ass and he created this thing and obviously it's it's become a monster. But the overall premise is this: is what she's talking about. That's like that should be like printed out because that's exactly what businesses and media should be thinking. It's 100% right. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Questions from the audience. What do we do here? 98 minutes, Jack. 98 minutes. Hope you've enjoyed it. I always enjoy the questions. What questions do you have? Send them in. We keep it going. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. It's questions from the audience on the Tim McKernan Show. Podcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa. With over 50 years of sports betting experience, Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. 
Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.